The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. <laughs> Scott. Hello. Scott's pulling up his sleeves Welcome to make to fun of me. Welcome to 2023. Yes, happy Wednesday. Woo! Goddamn. Wow. You got a little Jess. I am you got a little Jess in my ear this morning. Um, happy 2023. We are so excited to be coming to you in the brand new year. And today we are going to talk all about resource guarding. Awesome. I can't wait. We're super pumped up about this. That's but mine. First, Don't touch it. <laughs> but first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. <laughs> Okay, my quirky tip of the day, and it may be my best quirky tip of all time, is Coroplast. If you are not familiar with what Coroplast is, go to Home Depot, ask them what it is, and figure out what it is. If you own dogs, if you are in the dog world, anything else. Coroplast is my favorite friend ever. Yeah, tell them what it's like. It's exactly like a piece of cardboard, only it's made out of plastic. Yes. So it doesn't get all soggy. You can Mm -hmm. wipe it off. You can wash it. You can hose it off. It's indestructible. It's great for the environment. (laughs) It never dies. We're not going to start selling Coroplast on the show, and it isn't the most sustainable product. But I'm telling you, I've used it as crate dividers, under wire crates for carpet, so there's no stuff. Coroplast is an awesome product, easy to clean. Check it out. We've used it for so many things. We've even made dog dividers out of Coroplast. It is a good product. Yeah, and Home Depot sells it. It's it's awesome. Okay, so we're going to talk about resource guarding today. What is resource guarding? guarding? Well, to me, it's making anything that you see as a resource. You don't want it to be anyone else's. You want it to be yours. You Mm -hmm. guard it. So I used both of the (laughs) words when I did my definition. But resource guarding, I would say, is one of those issues that some of our clients have and run into, and we run into with some clients, that's a lot more intricate than other things. We run into with our own dogs. Yes. Resource guarding is rampant. And I feel like it's often mishandled. We've talked about it on the show here and there in different episodes before, but we're dedicating the entire podcast to resource guarding. And we're going to give you guys as many tips and tricks to keep you safe, to keep your family members safe, to keep people coming to your house safe, and to get your dog in as clear of a headspace as possible. Because Scott and I right here, right now, are going to tell you that we believe resource guarding is mostly genetic. And if your dog has resource guarding, you're never going to just kick it out of them. Well, I wouldn't say it's mostly genetic. I, I, I don't personally think it's mostly genetic. Okay. I think a lot of it is learned behavior, but there certainly are I some I think the stuff that you're not going to break through, yeah. like some of these yeah, the doodles, really, some of these mouths, is, is more genetic to me. The genetic-based resource guarding shows up really early, yeah. and it's pretty strong. Yeah, it's Right not, out of the gate. Not, you yeah. got a seven, eight-week-old puppy, and it's gonna, it wants to kill anybody coming yeah. near it when it has a bone yeah. or its food or things like that. What, what I think about with a, more of a learned behavior is a dog that will pick up a sock and want you to chase them around the house. Oh, yeah. And then when you go to take it, now they're growling and you're playing tug with them yeah. and, and they don't want to give it back. And they're creating a game that could look kind of like resource guarding, but and it could turn into more. It could turn into some aggression, but it's more of a learned behavior. Yeah, no. And to me, what Scott's describing with the sock makes total sense, but to me, that isn't really even resource guarding. To me, resource guarding is something you see with a you know very young dog that's showing up very early. Maybe it's been in past generations. And then how do you deal with it? Fine. So you have it. How do you deal with it? So we own dogs who are hard resource guarders. We've had a lot of client dogs who are hard resource guarders, everything else. My first tip would be, 
if you have a rescue, a puppy, anything new in your house, when you give them something of value, whether it be a bully stick or a bone or some dogs can resource guard toys, anything, if you give them something of value, just have a leash on them at first. Like don't have it just be willy nilly that the puppy has free run of the house, the rescue is free run of the house. And if for some reason you want to go to take it because you're leaving the house and now you're chasing the dog around the house, just have a leash on your dog to control it if you don't know what it's going to look like. Because it is something that if it's there, it's going to pop up probably that first instance and it would be nice to be able to manage the situation properly. Yeah, I would train through it and we can get into how, how we train, how I train uh, dogs that have this, these resource guarding issues. Um, and certainly having a leash on them is, is yeah, the first Yeah, we're going to talk about the training, but you when, you say, the dog's behavior. when you say train through it, like, what does that mean to you? What does it look like? What when that means is that I would, I would teach a dog to, a leave it command, a drop it command, so that whatever they have, uh, if I want to take that from them, I can tell them to drop it. Yes. They will drop it. I can then call them to me. Yes. Or, or like with, with my personal dog, I will tell him to sit. And then I can put my hands on the item and tell him to yes. drop it and yes. or give whatever the command is, and he'll just release it. Yeah, and I just so want to make a, it it's clear. It's a formal obedience end of that activity that you're doing right there with that toy or food or bone. Yeah, and I want to make it clear that that is how we train through it. That doesn't mean now if Cousteau not, is eating his meal, I'm going to go in and go and stick my hand in his bowl while he's eating raw food out of a bowl. So there, I want you guys to be very clear on what resource guarding and working through it looks like. And I also want you to be very clear on not pushing the dog, okay? So Cousteau is a very strong dog. He turned nine. He's Scots, Belgian, Malinois. He has had resource guarding since the moment he came home. That is to no fault of his. I love him dearly. We um, put him in a new crate. And, you know, even as I'm going to close the door sometimes with the food, he'll look at me and he'll growl. I then I said to Scott, hey, I'm having an issue here. He goes, oh, just put the food on the other side when you put it down. I do that because I'm respecting the animal and I don't want to create a lot of conflict. I don't want to say, oh, this, that, and the other thing. If I put it in the back of his crate and he can eat fine, no issue. And now, because I've worked around that a bit, I can feed him wherever in the crate and he's not growling at me. So respect the animal. I'm not saying be afraid of the animal, dance around the animal, do this, that, and the other thing of the animal. But I'm not, if he's eating and he gives me a grumble, I'm not, hey, you better knock it off. I'm not trying to create more conflict when it's there. I know that dog very well, but I want to make this point early in the podcast that sometimes you guys are pushing your dogs way too freaking far when there's resource guarding. It is terrifying me that people are like, oh yeah, the dog eats for 30 seconds and then I recall him back and then I send him back for 30 seconds. I mean, the dog is like, it's whole meal now. They're gobbling, they're freaking out. Like, take this very carefully with how you approach it. And I just want to make that point early because we're going to give you tips for training and different things to consider and everything else. But it also is part of who the animal is and to keep you safe and to keep the animal feeling like you can be safe within its space, be respectful, please. Yeah, I mean, another thing that I guess is a little bit of a pet peeve, and I've gone to uh, several seminars uh, using, you know, where they're promoting different... Um, methodologies to overcome resource guarding. One was with toys. And the, the, what they wanted you to do was if the dog guarded a toy, put like 30 toys on the floor in the room so that it doesn't feel like it only has, you know, it has access to all these toys so it doesn't have to guard one. I haven't found that type of thing to work. The kind of dogs I've worked with would gather all those toys into a little pile. That would be their pile. 
And if you come yeah. near the pile now, they're going to fucking kill you. Yeah. And so that's, a, that's yeah. a dog with resource guarding. Yeah. And you're not you know? training through it by just putting, it, oh, I'm having an issue with one thing. Okay, let me put 50 to 100 things in the ground. We are suggesting you give the dog a toy. You give the dog something of value. Maybe you don't give the dog a raw marrow bone when it first gets home. Maybe you just give it some like little tasty chew that isn't maybe as high value as like a raw bone. But the dog is working with just that one item, and you have a leash on the dog. If you see an issue, you are going to train through it. My dog, Vital, will throw my dog under the bus. Doesn't like other dogs near her food. Doesn't like other dogs near her toys. Doesn't necessarily like other things near me. I've trained through this. I have taught that dog to bring me things. I have taught that dog to deal when people come near me. You can train through it, but know what you're dealing with and know the steps to take through training through it. And yes, the millions of toys out is not training through it. One thing we always do, and this is something that you definitely should consider, if you see resource guarding in any way, shape, or form, there is always some sort of back tie on the dog. Do you want to explain what that's like? Well, I would... uh, The other option is to just... And of course... You should be using a crate if you have a dog that has this type of a propensity because it is the, there is the potential of someone who doesn't know your dog well, a visitor, that could come in and want to pet your dog when they're chewing on a bone or something, and then all of a sudden the dog lashes out at them, you know, or a child, God forbid. So you don't want to have that kind of situation. So you can give the dog you know, a bone, a, a big marrow bone, something that isn't going to obstruct them or cause any type of harm to the dog in their crate where it's safe. Well, let's talk about the back tie, though, specifically. That's what I want to talk about. Um, so when we're did, training you know, resource I, I'm guarding. not going to give... Anything we talk about here is not something I would advise anyone to try at home because when you get into resource guarding and that type of aggression, it's easy to make a mistake and have a dog bite you. And I say this because early on, I told this whole thing about the back tie. I worked with a dog that had real strong resource guarding and I, told, I t- taught the dog to drop it. I had the dog back tied to a post. And I gave the dog a, a, a bone. He was chewing on it. We taught the dog a leave it. I had a line on the dog. The dog was doing it. Everything was going great. They could take the, the toy or whatever it was. And then they went home and they called me. Three days later, this dog had bit the woman of the house several times. It chased the lady all through the house, biting the, the lady repeatedly. And I said, how, how is that possible? I mean, did, you had the dog back tied. Oh, no, we didn't do that. We didn't have a, play, a good place to do that. We weren't doing that. And that's why I'm hesitant to give any advice that I would like you to work on at home when it comes to aggression issues. Yeah, We're just talking have, about what works If you have extreme us. resource guarding, you have to work with a professional. You need professional. to work with a professional. But my point Absolutely. is, even if you are a professional listening, if you see something on a leash like, oh, wow, that kind of went south. If the dog is either tethered to a door or back tied to something that's stable or something else, the dog cannot come at you. The dog has less options. So it's one thing to have a dog with a leash that's, you know, six feet, whatever, in the house, but the dog can still come near you with the leash, go wherever it wants. If the dog has its own area, at least you know the dog cannot come forward. So I just want to make that point that if you are somebody that's, you know, listening to things on the internet, watching different videos, everything else, if you have extreme resource guarding issues, you do not deal with this alone at all. However, I know many of you who have gone to various professionals and gotten less than optimal advice, the problem got worse, someone did end up getting injured, the problem didn't get any better. So I'm just letting you know that if it's an issue now that you're like, hey, that didn't look great, 
I would consider having a safe space so the dog cannot come near you as you are going to approach them. And there's a difference. Trading is great. If the dog wants to trade, trade all day long. But it better be literally chewing like maybe a Himalayan chew and you're trading for a piece of steak. You're going to figure out, you're going to feel out what's high value to the dog, how the dog wants to relate to things. And if your dog did have extreme resource guarding and with bones and everything else, I would not even recommend putting the dog in the crate with that. How are you going to get the dog out? How is somebody else going to get the dog out? What if somebody walks by the crate and the dog is attacking the side of the crate? So be very careful with how you're setting up all these different scenarios. Okay, we're going to go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to talk more about resource guarding. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. Okay, so another thing I want to mention is that if you have resource guarding, there are some signs that you're going to see probably before a full-on, like, oh my God, the dog's coming at me because it's afraid I'm going to take this. And I'm not sure necessarily what the dogs are thinking in their head. There hasn't been some sort of gene identified that, you know, oh, this is why this is happening or something else. I've read that a lot of people are saying dogs resource guard because of deprivation in their past. I'm having a hard time swallowing the fact that a six to eight week old puppy that's raised in a great environment had a lot of deprivation. So why it's coming up, we don't know. But knowing what it looks like as it surfaces is important. So one thing that definitely happens is the freezing. So the dog has something. And just to back up, when I talk about, you know, having the dogs having it in the crate, I'm thinking about feeding the dog their meals in the crate. If they have food aggression, then feeding them in the meals is safe for everybody. But yeah, as far as the behavior, the the dog is chewing on a bone. They're happy. They're just gnawing away on this bone. They're in their own world. And as you get closer, or all of a sudden... Or someone stands up. This is important to note. If you, all of a sudden, if, they freeze. They yeah, stop if you moving. guys are watching a movie as a family and a kid just stands up, they may freeze. You're watching the dog's behavior to see what's different. Um, dogs that resource guard people, you know, whether it be dogs from getting near the owner or like some dogs will resource guard their owner from another dog in the house, if that makes some sense. Some dogs will resource guard their person. In my mind, some of this crazy leash reactivity that's happening on the street is like starting to just become insane resource guarding. Like just stay six feet away from my mom. I don't want you near my dad. I'm not sure if that's the origin of all of it, but some of it, what I see is coming from that. And to me, that's a learned behavior. Resource guarding a person is more of a learned behavior, in my opinion. Okay. Um, Just because usually the person they're guarding is not stronger than the dog. Yeah, potentially. However you see it happening, there's going to be different things at play. So I mentioned Vital. Vital wants to be mine. She wants me to be me. If Max comes in, she hates our doodle Max. She'll start like changing the way she is near me because she doesn't want Max near me. So I see that behavior. I say, go get on your freaking bed. Go lay down. I'm interrupting there. I'm watching the dog's behavior and I'm like, okay, you're acting like a freaking idiot. You go away. I'm not then holding her, coddling her, telling her, oh, it's okay, everything else. If there is anything where you're seeing a behavior change prior to growling or biting, it is very, very, very important that you're recognizing those behavior changes. And it is okay if your dog is not the type of dog that can have great chews. Give them a West Paws on the bed. They have these really nice indestructible toys. They have other things they can deal with. Your dog will have a fulfilling life if it doesn't have a bully stick every week. It's okay. But you need to make sure that you're in control of the situation and you know the different triggers to keep everyone safe. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I, um, the other thing that doesn't 
hasn't worked for me, and the reason I'll explain why, but the trading, trying to, if you want to give the dog a marrow bone, and then you say, get, leave it, and you, give, you trade for, say, uh, liver treats, and they love the liver treats, and then you give them the marrow bone, and then you say, drop it, and then you give them liver treats. That all works great, and it all looks good, and it looks like you're making good progress. But what I have found is if you give the marrow bone and let them chew on it for now for a minute or two minutes, they don't care about those liver treats yeah. anymore. And now the thing, bone is theirs, yeah. and they're, that genetic, whatever's going on in their head, that possessiveness, they start, they're going to freeze up when you go in there with liver treats. They don't care anymore. Yeah. That's been my and the experience. One, and the one part of that whole situation is that... You, we're teaching dogs to bring things to us typically. So the difference between us just trading or us walking up to the dog, we have enough control over our own personal dogs. And some of our client dogs with this level of extreme behavior that we've helped work through, that if they're over there chewing on something, we can say, hey, come here. And the dogs will get off their beds, bring it to us. We can tell them to sit. We can take it from them. We're not now running up and being like, okay, we're going to trade your favorite thing for this. We have enough control of our, of our dogs that we can call them. We can tell them to sit. We can tell them to hand it to us. But we've taught all of this stuff. We've trained through all of this stuff. And if you're thinking, well, how do you train through that if the dog likes the bone so much? You're doing it with something that an object that's more benign, right? If you're going to teach the dog these behaviors with just a PVC pipe, I'm sure there is a dog out there that resource guards PVC as much as a dog would, you know, guard some dead animal in the wild. However, PVC is going to be a lot less of a trigger for many dogs. Some dogs may not want to even hold the PVC. Like you're starting to work through all of these different issues of, okay, we can teach a hold, we can teach a retrieve, we can teach a drop, we can teach everything. The value of what you're working with is hugely important. Even Scott's example of the marrow bone and the liver treats to me, like most of our dogs would think that the marrow bone was a way higher value. I'm not quite sure, but it, it really depends on the dog. You really need to know what you're working with. If you're going to trade Charlie Bears to a dog that has, you know, some savory farmhounds hide, they may look at you like you can take your Charlie Bears and go. You need to be conscious of what your dog finds valuable because every dog has different value. Some dogs love sticks. Some dogs love ripping things up. Some dogs love certain toys. It varies dog to dog, but you need to be aware of your own dog's triggers and value systems. Yeah, where it can show up as unexpectedly as things like... uh a piece of tissue paper. These are the kind of yes. things that I've seen. Clients have called me and said, oh, the dog bit the crap out of me. Uh, I, I had a little piece of tissue paper. I'd blown my nose or it was on the floor and they went and got it and they were just chewing up this piece of tissue paper and I went to get it and the dog came at me and bit me. Yeah. So it's, it just, it, it's all about what the dog possesses and they've decided this is mine. You can't have it. And I don't are, want anyone to have it. And these are dogs that may not love toys originally, but now that there's a bunch of snot in a rag, that's really of high value. So if you know that your dog is like a tissue type of dog, okay, realize that for what it is and then think, okay, I'm going to train. I'm going to start training, like, you know, pick up this little tissue and, and bring it to me if I need to. I'm going to tell you a big trigger, you guys. If you have a house full of little kids and your dog grabs things, the kids running after the dog month after month, year after year, sometimes decade after decade, a decade, all that's in do, is doing is instilling in the well, dog. that's an old dog. Run. Well, I mean, if you is have, I, I don't know, 15, <laughs> some dogs can at 15 still get running. And if you have multiple kids that old, I mean, if, if you, the dog has constantly been chased when it has had something in their mouths, 
That is a pattern that they are starting to create a game and they're starting to become this possessiveness. So please do not enact that whole chase component. Control the situation. Have baby gates up in the room. Have a leash on the dog. Have ways to control the situation. Because sometimes, yes, these little doodles, these dogs that all of a sudden are resource guarding high heels in the closet, it just started as a game. Like Scott said, they picked up a shoe on the mat when all the kids wanted to go to school. It was major chaos. Everyone's running around the house. It looks like a cartoon. And then the game has evolved into something bigger. So be very careful of how you're responding to how your dog acts in these situations also. And I will say that if you, let's assume that you can't fix it, we can't fix it. I'm sure there's dog trainers out there that can fix anything, but uh, I'm not one of them. So I would say manage it closely. You know, if you're going to give the dog something that you know they're going to really enjoy and they're going to get possessive of, you want to already have a leave it command in there. You're setting everything up so the dog can enjoy that. No one's going to get hurt. And you can end it when you want to end that, that little yes. chew fest. Um, the thing that can get crazy is that the, the perimeter, and, and getting back to the maintenance. So my dog, who has this resource guarding, I can walk right by the dog. He's chewing a bone. And nine times out of ten, he's not going to growl at anybody. He's just happy. He He trusts that he's there. It's his space. He can chew on it. No one's going to take it away. So he doesn't all of a sudden go into that type of growly type of headspace. But I've gone to people's homes where, and this is with a chocolate lab, which you would never think would be like this. You couldn't go in the kitchen after they put the bowl of food down. The dog would attack anyone that came in the room. So that perimeter just gets bigger and bigger and bigger when it goes unchecked yeah and the dog was uh, like they had a family and yeah. they were all like in the living room when the dog ate yeah. in the kitchen because if anyone went near that room he'd come running out far away from his food yeah to bite somebody and then go back to his dinner yeah and is that crazy. is that's extreme and this is the kind of stuff we've seen over the years and this brings us back to the crate situation What do you feed your dog if your dog is a resource guarder? Okay, if you feed them kibble, fine. Maybe they're in a slow feed bowl. Maybe you put some water in the kibble, something else, just so they're not inhaling it. If you feed raw, how safe is that raw? Is that raw thought out and everything else? The only way that I could get Scott's dog off of a bowl of food is probably to tap him on the e-collar at 60 and just say, leave it, and then he would back off the food and I would take a bowl out. If he was not wearing an e-collar at that point and he was choking on his food, that would be like my worst case scenario. He eats all ground raw and it's never too frozen for him. But these are the types of situations that all of a sudden your dog's now choking, they're stressed, you're trying to get in there in the bowl. This would be the biggest trigger. Feed the dog in a locked crate in a safe setup with a crate bowl. If your dog is a complete asshole in a crate, go and teach them Susan Garrett crate games, have some control in the crate. They could even be sitting when you go to touch the door, you put the food in. If they get up, you're going to take it out. I mean, start to manage these things so you have a better plan of action to deal with. Management is key when it comes to resource guarding. And we are sitting up here right now telling you as two dog professionals who have worked with thousands of dogs that We don't let our egos now take control and be like, we're going to show this dog that he has to submit and this is what's important. No, we want to have a relationship with our dogs where he can be on the freaking bed or the couch or whatever and be eating a farmhounds and we're safe. That doesn't mean other animals are roaming in and dealing with him and everything else, but we want him to feel safe being the dog he is in our presence and we need to be safe in his presence. So be very conscious of how you're setting these things up. The dog in the crate eating with the locked door is keeping everyone 
everyone safe. Maybe they're going to resource guard their bowl. I have worked with a lot of asshole pet dogs. I will tell you, if there is a dog that I'm not sure of, maybe my foot is going in that bowl. Maybe sometimes a PVC pipe is going in that bowl. I am not reaching my arm into a freaking crate to take a bowl out for a dog that's sketchy or a dog that may have resource guarding. I've done that before with an empty bowl, and I've still gotten my workout pants have a bite in them from coming out. Like, that's why I'm talking about using a PVC pipe or something. You know, Sue Sternberg had the assess a hand many, many years ago where she'd go to shelters and put the hand in the bowl and everything else. And that is something that it it does give you some sort of an indication, especially of a dog with extreme resource guarding. But there's a difference between, you know, a fake rubber hand and a kid's face at the bowl. It is your responsibility to be managing that your dog feels safe and has a safe place to eat. That should just be a basic principle of owning dogs, as far as I'm concerned. Protect your dog and be an advocate for your dog in that context. Yeah, and I was going to say also that... um some dogs do a lot of guarding just with other dogs, but have no human yes. impression. So my dog, Jimmy, is, is like that. And I, I, I prefer to think of him as kind of a dick with other dogs. <laughs> He's, He's the dick. kind of dog that will, he'll be chewing on this, and he'll see another dog coming. Oh, he likes he, to play he might this just game. leave it he over likes here. To play that game, yeah. And he'll just sit over here and wait. <laughs> and if the other dog comes over to take it, he's going to then it not in our presence. But if he's by himself, <laughs> now make, he's going to have fun. Now up. he's going to yep. fuck with other dogs. He'll make a little game up. You know, and he might get his ass kicked too, but he can't help himself. <laughs> yeah. He just thinks, oh. Well, no, but also we'll see that. We'll see that setup. And that's why Scott's saying he won't do it in front of us right now. He drops a toy. I'll say, oh, here you go. And I'll go hand it to another dog. But that is such an incredible point that Scott brought and up. Zero with humans. Zero no. guarding no, of no, anything no. with humans. And some of us, these are strong dogs with high drive. Like this is what, people that train high drive dogs. You understand what we're talking about here. With that said, if your dog is like that with dogs, which I'm saying Cousteau would for sure growl if a dog came by him with a, when he had a bone, we're not letting him have rehearsals of that. I don't care that he's not growling at us. He is not growling at other animals. Rehearsals are not good. Rehearsing a behavior of instability, of, oh my God, you're going to take my thing, of, oh my God, this is mine, I'm protecting it. Oh my God, I have to get you away from it. That is rehearsing instability. So we do not allow our dogs to rehearse it with other dogs either, even yeah. if they won't hurt the other dog or something else. It's bad rehearsals. That's the obedient side of owning animals. You should be able to have a dog, a German Shepherd, and cats, and maybe a rabbit, and you have all this shit in your house. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that when the rabbit comes in, you're afraid it's going to get killed by the yeah, German Shepherd. You have the control. German Shepherd knows, I don't, maybe if you weren't home, something could certainly happen. But in your presence, none of that stuff should be yeah, going on in your presence. You have control of your household. And this is what we are talking about in relation to these bones, these triggers, everything else. I don't care if your breeder gives you, you know, a package of the best treats and the highest quality treats. You're managing that. If you have children in your house, even if you live alone and you don't have any other animals, I don't care. You're managing it. You're creating the dog you want. Put the dog on the couch next to you, give it a safe space to chew that, and have a leash on it at first. Don't just start giving your kids things to give to the dog and think that everything's going to be fine. Because even from wee little babies, it can be an extreme issue. And it is a hard issue to deal with. And it can be a stressful issue to deal with. But not letting your ego and not making this like the battle of champions and, you know, may the strongest one win. That is really an important point here for us. And I think that's where Scott and I differ differ from a lot of other balance trainers that we're not in it just to win because, you know, we just need to be the best. And we don't want to see some dog be broken. If you like to think along terminology like that, we're not going to be breaking dogs just so, you know, we know that we can go in and take some freaking marrow bone away from any crazy high drive, 200 pound dog. That's not 
No, or our head spaces. Well, I, don't, I don't want the dog to pee when I walk into the room because it's and terrifying outside of that, that I'm going to be. Outside of that, there are some people on the internet and there are some trainers and stuff that that's who they are and that's their methodology. And that is fine <clears> if that's <throat> the route you want to go and who you want to follow and everything else. But it is about respecting the animal and finding this like decent harmony with like what works for our household. Maybe a farmhound's hide is fine. Maybe a farmhound's hide with fur is way too primal for the dog and the dog gets way too excited about it. Maybe the one with fur on it, the dog only has for two minutes where it can have the other hides just laying around the house. Start really figuring out what works and then stick with that plan and then have a backup plan for the rare moment that the bully stick falls off the counter at your friend's house where you can say, hey, Rover, come here, bring, bring that to me. I want to see what it is. There, you can teach a dog to bring you a dead mouse if you have a good retrieve, right? Like you can train through these things, but you have to prepare for it and not just be like, oh shit, it's happened. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say also, this gets back to the food aggression. If you're not using a crate and you're feeding the dog in the kitchen, but they don't finish their food. And this is something I tell everybody. If they walk away from that food, you pick it up, they're mm-hmm. done for the day. Yeah. So if that's a trigger, if that's potentially an aggression trigger, there is no reason at all to leave that in the room all day long because they didn't finish it yet because there's two bites of food yeah, left. And if you have any food aggression, you really need to feed your dog in the crate, honestly. But a lot of people don't want to use crates. But I'm saying if they with you give the dog food, with food I would. and if they eat half the bowl and then walk away, go pick it up and it's done. Because yeah. when they come back to graze at noon, now that trigger is potentially there again. Yeah. And when and they just, come back, it's always a trigger. And just be conscious of, you know, is the dog growling at the cat? Is the dog growling at the other dogs? Is the dog getting persnickety with the kids? You know, and we just make so many excuses. Oh, he's a puppy. He has to chew. Oh, he, he wants to play this game. Oh, he's an older dog. You know, he has some arthritis. We just make so many excuses for this bullshit behavior. And at the end of the day, we're talking about like a bite that could potentially be life-threatening, could for sure change, you know, the course of someone's life with the way they use their hand or their face looks. We're talking about a serious issue. So be very careful with how you're addressing it, who you're addressing it with, and how you're actually dealing with it. And don't just dance around the freaking dog. Come up with a system. Some people feed their dogs on freaking cookie trays, right? Like the dog has to graze the whole cookie tray. Come up with a system that works where everyone is safe, where it's not like you're housing a wild animal because we've domesticated dogs for a reason. Yeah, and just give them their safe space where they're uninterrupted. They can finish their meal and not feel like someone's going to come in and stick their hand in the bowl repeatedly and do all kinds of silliness. Yeah, and don't just, overdo uh, it. Some eat. of this stuff organically works itself out. If you have an extreme problem, seek professional help, but don't overthink it and don't overread about it and don't overdo it. I'm promising you guys, less is more, especially with extreme resource guarding. All right. I hope we helped you with some rules. More than anything, make sure you're using that crate. You're considering the back tie. And if your dog is a jerk, it doesn't deserve nice things. That's the bottom line. Not all dogs need bully sticks and farm hounds hides and marrow bones. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We're excited to come at you all of 2023. And have a great Wednesday. Keep it quirky, guys. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.